This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we have a guest I'm really excited about to discuss airport planning careers. It's Ben Crooks, and he's been involved with this for quite some time. But before we begin, I have a few announcements. If you have questions, comments, or say an inspirational story, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. This is really important, especially now with all the challenging times uh, with COVID-19, et cetera. So I'd really appreciate your writing and, and give us just some hope, that type of thing. One inspirational thing I'd like to say is I, as of today, I'm off of my COVID leave. As some of you know, I uh, actually was exposed to COVID during one of our flights. Someone came on the plane, had COVID, and uh, part of our policy at our airline is two weeks you're, you're out. You're done for two weeks. Uh, luckily, uh, I was able to actually get paid for that at a sick time, that type of thing. Uh, but uh, Another reason not to fly with COVID is, uh, you know, it does affect people, especially like myself, who's uh, working at the airlines and everybody else. We don't want to spread this disease. That's for sure. I am so hopeful that someday we will have a vaccine uh, and we will be able to have therapeutics where uh, and we're even seeing a little bit of decline in, in the fatality rate. Let's hope it continues in that direction. I can't wait to get back to normalcy. That's for sure. Another couple of announcements here. The July scholarships guide is available with over $90 million in scholarships. You can actually get one of those for free by using the coupon code pay it forward i got a link there as far as pay it forward campaign and what we do and how you can uh, get a coupon or if you want to donate and help people out with that coupon it shows you how to do that it's really simple for every 50 dollars that you donate we throw in one scholarships guide for free and uh, there's a lot of folks that are out there helping people move forward in their career Uh, i know people have there is one person that said well you know i'm afraid there's no scholarships for me well you don't know until you try Uh, you have to apply that's the the toughest part is actually applying also if you're interested in some scholarships coaching uh shoot me an email feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com i can describe what we do and how we do that by the way go to the youtube channel and check out what we're doing with uh the pilot interview course last video was uh maximum holding speeds and what are they and we go through one question out of our interview process and each week and then we discuss the actual answer but also not just the answer but how to answer that question as far as an interview is concerned and that's what's really important that's on our youtube channel Anyway, let's get on with the show. I'm really excited to have uh, Ben Crooks here, who's actually somebody who's involved with airport planning. Hey, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Carl. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be on the show this morning. This is really exciting because this is a topic that uh, I've been wanting to talk about. I, I've talked about in the past, but I'm not sure if we've had a, a guest on in the past that's just been strictly into airport planning. Has I know we've had people have had a background in it, but this is cool. You You truly are an airport planner, and that's what you're doing right now, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's uh, on the business cards, and that's what I get to live every day. So I'm uh, a pretty fortunate guy, I think, in that sense. I'm biased, but it's a great job. Yeah, it, it is. It's an awesome job. As a matter of fact, I love hanging around with the different planners, especially here where I am in Lakeland and uh, my friends up in New Jersey. And it's really a challenge. There's uh, And it's, it's dynamic. One of the things I like, it's always constantly moving and changing. Um, but before we begin, you're somebody that loves aviation, just like we all do. You don't have to fly an airplane to love aviation, but tell us a little bit about how you got into aviation and how you developed this passion for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a great question. One I like starting with. Uh, truth be told, I was I was very scared of flying as a young kid. Um, we immigrated from Europe and you'd fly back and forth across the ocean and I hated every second of it. And it was like a light switch one day. I'm not sure when or, or why that flipped, but I was like, no, this actually isn't scary anymore. I want to make this uh, everything I obsess over and learn about. So, uh, you know, developing that aviation passion, airports were always kind of at the back of the mind because you you fly and you you know, there's always the air travel aspect of it where you're on the plane and that's very exciting and very cool. But what I found that, you know, I was sort of the, the nose to the airplane window. I was looking out and seeing, you know, the ramps and the terminals and the runways. And the beauty of an airport is it really makes you ask, well, why is this this way? And, and what's that? And how does this work? Right. And, you know, it's, it's a very immersive experience. And I think that sort of sparked something in me. Um, and, you know, Lego is a great tool, I think, to develop a, a you know, a passion or an interest in, you know, people would build Lego towns or, or forts, or whatever. I would build Lego airports and, you know, here's how the jetway functions and here's how the, the plane's going to unload. And, you know, when I was a little older and, and had some disposable income, that was uh, die cast model airliners, you know, balsa wood terminals, uh, and even going through like the airport standards and, and trying to figure out well, what does a one to 400 scale airport look like and how do you make that as accurate as possible? So a little obsessive in that. Uh, a little bit older, uh, I was able to join the, the Royal Canadian Air Cadets up here in Canada. And I think the equivalent in the States would be the Civil Air Patrol, correct if I'm wrong there. And that was that was excellent because from age twelve to eighteen, you know, it was just one Tuesday per week and a few week did pardon me, weekends per month, aviation, aviation. And uh, you know, I really immersed myself in that and I was fortunate, you know, by by putting in my time there to get my glider pilot's license and uh, private pilot's license through the Air Cadet program on scholarships. So, you know, it's cool to hear you mentioning the scholarship opportunities and the coaching there and you know, when I did those, the rest was history. You know, I'm like, I need to make this a career of some sort. So that's kind of how the passion came to be there with aviation. That's an awesome story. I tell you, the cadet programs are really, really cool no matter where you are. Uh, and that's very similar to the Civil Air Patrol. And it really is something that uh, can actually educate you and also spur more of your passion for aviation. Uh, cool that you did that. As a matter of fact, we're trying to do more scholarships in the Canadian area, just our friends right across the border. Um, but uh, and, and things are very similar in aviation, no matter where you go, as far as learning how to fly in airplanes and airplane. Uh, the rules, though, do change a little bit depending on, on what country you're in. As a matter of fact, people even don't realize this. We have in the United States here, we have two bordering countries. And and even in those countries, things are different in the aviation rules. Not much, but some. So mm-hmm. you really have to study those. Um, one cool thing that you mentioned, I, I was sitting there listening to this as far as the models and that type of thing. We, you know, in the college where I am, one of the things that they've progressed to when it comes to aviation and planning is having actually a layout of an airport. And what do they do? They use those diecast models like you talked there about. There you go. And, and it's still, it's a great tool, isn't it? Well, it's it gives you that hands-on aspect, right? Because, you know, planning really is kind of the spatial distribution of, of resources in a really technical term. It's just laying it out and making sure, you know, that it all functions and its dimensions. And, you know, a lot of our work is done in, uh, you know, CAD, computer-aided design. And, you know, it's good to do in the digital. But, you know, there's something to be said for laying out a map in front of you and saying, well, how will this function, you know, and and sort of doing the scenarios, well, here's an airplane landing and, you know, here's the choke points and here's the trouble spots, right? And sort of smoothing those out. So, you know, more often than not, we'll get some paper out and just start sketching because it, it lets the ideas flow, right? And that's something that, you know, I love computer design, but it's a little harder to translate just free flowing ideas into that sometimes. 
Right. So since we're talking about airport planning, we kind of have an idea into it. You know, if you were to define what airport planning is, how would you do that? What What is airport planning? I think airport planning really is one of those those disciplines that doesn't fit very neatly into a box. It's a very expansive job description. Uh, and the way that I typically describe it to people who ask is what we're doing is guiding or assisting airports with achieving a desired outcome. It's a really a 30,000 foot definition, but achieving a desired outcome. And really that can take a number of forms. Um, going a bit deeper, it's you know analyzing existing or, or anticipated future problems or opportunities. And then you know, going through that analysis process and making recommendations for for solutions, and I kind of categorize those solutions in different ways. You know, you, you might solve a, a problem or an opportunity through infrastructure, uh, through airport operations, through organizational changes, through business development. But again, it's it's taking a problem or an opportunity and making sort of a an actionable recommendation. But there's really no upper limit on what planning encompasses because so long as there's a problem, you know, you'll find a way to plan through it. Um, and I think. Maybe a better way to look at it is sort of the types of projects that you'll do, uh, you know, 20-year airport master plans that literally cover every single aspect of the airport over that that planning horizon, uh, feasibility studies for projects like runway extensions and, and new taxiways, uh, land development is a big thing, you know, aeronautical revenues and, and non-aeronautical as well, uh, increasingly, uh, land use planning. So deciding where certain uses should go on an airport and also going beyond the airport to address how um, how airports fit with the municipalities that they're in. And, you know, that was actually my background before this was municipal planning. And I think we'll talk about that a little later there. Um, so, yeah, no neat definition, but just taking problems or opportunities and, and finding recommendations for a solution. So it's a lot like being an engineer. Uh, similar, it's both a science, it's, it's art and a science. Yeah, exactly. The The motto that we used uh, in my planning school at the university there was theory and practice. And I think, you know, if engineering is the detailed how of, you know, a runway project or a taxiway, uh, planning is the what and the why. So it's kind of the step before engineering. And, you know, we're very, there's a lot of synergies with working with engineers because it needs to be an actionable recommendation. But it's taking a step back and saying, what do we need to do? And really, why should we do it? Because you can engineer a runway extension, but you need to ask why that's required and you know how long the extension should be and sort of what the rationale is there that you can defend your actions there. So if you were to look at your job and say to yourself, you know, and I'm trying to get this picture in my mind, what's the most important thing about your job? And obviously that whole figuring out runway extensions, et cetera, but there's probably more than just that. Absolutely. Uh, the most important part is that, you know, Airports are really complex entities and, you know, you fly through them and you, and you know that, right? But with an airport over a 20-year horizon, there's a lot of different things that you'll need to do to achieve a desired outcome. The importance of planning there is that you can't you can't do it all at once. It's like renovating your house. You have to kind of take off piecemeal chunks as you go through it. Planning is really laying out a, a solution that's, you know, it's cost-effective, financially sustainable, which especially in COVID is a, a real priority for airports. Uh, it's proper and it's orderly in that it makes kind of the best use of, of airport land and resources. And it prioritizes aviation safety because you can't be recommending solutions that would, would compromise that. So you need to be able to look at a system level and, and analyze that to make sure that whatever solution you put forward hits sort of all those boxes as well as other priorities of your of your client or your airport. Um, it's, you know, the importance is that you're considering all the options. You don't have a, a solution looking for a problem. You're considering all the options to solve a problem would be the real importance there. 
You know, when we're in aviation world, you notice that the word that comes up the most is safety. And uh, it seems that we kind of center around that because that makes sense, and especially in aviation. Uh, and there's so many other pieces to this in planning. So safety being that number one, and we talked about that a lot. How about those little things? You know, I understand that safety is always number one. Things like, do you think about as a planner, customer service, is that something that comes into your mind, like how this would affect a customer? Yeah, absolutely. Like I think anyone listening to the podcast right now could, you know, think of an airport and they'd say to themselves, that's a very poorly planned airport, right? Like the customer experience really starts from, from moment one of the airport. Um, I think customer experience and airline experience actually have some, some overlap there in that a runway that's a, a 20 minute taxi away from the terminal and you're stuck there in the plane and you're waiting and you're waiting, you know, that sort of degrades incrementally from the customer experience. Uh, terminal design, I think, is where that really um, closely interfaces with airport planning in terms of the customer flow. Uh, you know, it's designing spaces that, you know, can be enjoyed for extended periods of time. and. You know, we may not be down to the level of of customer to agent interactions or sort of those personal um, connections there, but it definitely is a, enabling a positive experience through the allocation of space and and giving passengers the amenities that they need. You talked a little bit about airlines and terminals, um, especially in Canada, those airports that aren't served by the traditional airlines that are served by smaller aircraft. Planning around those is incredibly important, and I, I think especially in Canada. I know there's a lot of places in the U.S. and Alaska that, that are similar to Canada, like the, the Mains and the, Alaska is one thing. But what, uh, what type of work would you do in those in areas, in those arenas at a small airport? Yeah, honestly, those small airports, the regional ones, that's kind of where my, my interest lies. It's the regional type facilities. Um, don't get me wrong, I love the Toronto Pearsons and the, the Vancouver's of Canada. But, you know, there's something to be said for, for working with those regional airports. And really, with those smaller regionals, the priority in planning is what's the most cost-effective solution to enabling those transportation flows. And you're you're absolutely right. A lot of airports in in the territories like Nunavut and uh, the Yukon Northwest Territories, the airport's the only way in and the only way out for a lot of those communities for a lot of the year. Um, the airport terminal might just be a shed, you know, or a, a large shed with a few check-in counters and no security, but that's a lifeline for the community. So with that, it's not recommending outlandish uh, expansions or, you know, the glossy, shiny, glass-covered terminal. It's what's the the functional solution that the the territory or the municipality can afford that will keep that connection alive. So it's sort of, it's right-sizing your recommendations is the, the way I always like to look at that. It's not creating an architectural marvel. It's creating a functional piece of transportation infrastructure with those facilities. I'm wondering if that's why people in Canada are so passionate about aviation. It just seems like, and not to, to get my American listeners mad, but it, it seems like, I mean, you have TV shows, you have such an actual touch and feel and connection to aviation. That's probably why, I think, just like they have in Alaska, that connection. I think so. There's, there's dependency. It's a it's survival mechanism for a lot of communities. And, you know, I've been very fortunate in my career so far to be exposed to parts of that and you know, the Northern Territories and even parts of the Northern Provinces where this is the only option, those people understand the value of their airport and they're passionate about it. It's not their vacation flight to, to Florida or Las Vegas or Mexico. That's the the food that they're going to give to their child or that's how they're going to get to healthcare. And, you know, about a year ago, I had the pleasure of helping one of the provinces here with air ambulance procurement through my work. And really, like, you, you get quite immersed in how important that is because it you know, having an airport is now an access 
to healthcare because a lot of those small communities they don't have the hospital, they don't have the medical clinic, they don't even have a doctor. So getting you know a King Air two hundred in there with a paramedic on board, that is the the personal connection that you know someone in the town is going to later say that was my my husband, wife, kid, etc., who was you know saved by that air ambulance service through that airport. It's you know it's almost equitable in how it brings you to healthcare. So I think yeah, it's a fair statement. A lot of communities do have a very closely linked relationship to their airport. It's dependency. Well, I tell you, as you were talking, I'm like, God, that, that's one of the things that's so rewarding about your job is, is just seeing those results and the impact you have on the community. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're doing a project right now. And I think it's, you know, I always say that the project I'm on right now is my favorite one of my career. But I think this one might actually be a, a real favorite. We're working with a town of about 4,000 people in the interior of uh, British Columbia, which is kind of the mountainous province of Canada. Town of 4,000 people and a little airport, like a 4,000 foot runway. And, you know, we went out and we did a survey and we did an online webinar. And through that survey right now, we've gotten over 600 people who have come out to us and said, here's my views in the airport. Here's why the airport's important to me. And I've worked in larger uh, municipalities across Canada where you get like 20 responses because they sort of take the airport for granted. This is a community where the survey responses, like I said, would come in and they would say, that's how my husband got transported to Vancouver for surgery. That's how my, you know, premature child got, got brought to a children's hospital. It's really cool seeing the attachment people make to their airport and hearing those stories. And I think, you know, I think this podcast is about stories, right? And I think a lot of aviation is about stories. And I think that's one of my best parts of my job is hearing those stories and then translating those to, to planning reports. It's very, very exciting. Wow, what an impact on a community and uh, and the people there really appreciate it. So if you're somebody that wants to get involved in this and into the airport planning, you got me sold. <laughs> so I'm assuming uh, from, and so you're, that's why you're here. I've always assumed that most people in airport planning actually work for that municipality or for the government, et cetera. So, so tell me, where do most airport planners work? I think there's, in my experience at least, and I'm not going to speak definitively to this, but in my experience, there's two you know, paths for, for airport planning. And there is the first route, like you've mentioned, where uh, you work directly for the, the airport owner, the airport operator uh, in Canada. That might be a, a large municipality or the airport authorities, which are kind of the not-for-profits we have. It, in my experience, that's typically reserved to the larger facilities that sort of have the, the financial ability to support a full-time planner and also the workload. Uh, and the beauty for working for an airport is you, over time, you understand every single aspect of your facility. You really get a deep, rich knowledge, you know, in every little aspect of how your airport runs. And so you get quite invested into, into applying for your airport's future. Uh, you know, you're working every day with a team of people with the same mission as you, you know, your, your vice presidents, your operational staff. Um, so that's kind of approach number one. And that's sort of the way that I think a lot of people think, you know, you'd be employed by the airport and that's very good. Uh, my line of work is a little bit different. I work in, in private sector consulting. And I think that's quite common in Canada and probably the United States as well. Um, so here, our work functions as a, an airport will put out a request for proposals. Um, they'll come out and ask qualified firms such as ours to, to bid for a project, which is exciting because there's a competitive aspect. You have to chase the work and you have to sell yourself to them and say, well, here's how we can help you meet your needs you know, before you even get into the work. Um, so again, it's an RFP driven process. You'll, you'll seek out work, you'll bid for work, and then you'll go to different airports across the country and help them solve problems. And that's, again, I'm biased because I work in consulting, but it's a pretty cool line of work because there's a lot of diversity that comes with that. 
you know, if working for a single airport, you're able to immerse yourself deeply. Here, you're able to kind of spread your your reach across the country and confront a lot of different airports. And every airport, you know, is so unique, which is a cliche statement. But, you know, they have different problems. They have different contexts. They have different opportunities. So you parachute in and it's a learning experience every time. And I get paid to learn. You know, that's sort of the way I put it. You kind of, you do your data collection, you, you do your stakeholder consultations, and you you build a picture of the airport that gets sort of more expansive every day. Um, and you meet the different people in that community and you you talk to those those stakeholders. And, you know, I love that because no two days are the same. Like right now I'm working for, for two different airports in Canada, the one in Interior BC, like I mentioned, where it's, you know, how do we keep the airport alive and financially viable with, you know, a town that still has to pave its roads and keep its water lines running and X and Y and Z, but also keep air ambulance coming and, and tourism. And then I'll pivot you know, the next minute to a, an airport in northern Saskatchewan. And you'll say, well, here's how we're going to develop a 20-year master plan for your future to keep you handling cargo flights and charter flights and mine flights to, to northern Saskatchewan. So it creates a lot of diversity in your work and it exposes you to a lot of different aspects of aviation and it keeps you nimble. You know, it keeps you on your toes and you have to be able to sort of flip to, to confront each problem differently and not come in with those preconceived notions. So, you know, love consulting. There's no two days that are the same or two projects that are the same, which is right up my alley there. Yeah, it sounds challenging and interesting and fascinating all in one, and you get to learn, which is terrific. Uh, to be truly transparent, one of the things that we like to always talk about is the challenges of the job. Uh, it, and it's a, it's a wonderful job. Like every job, there's challenges. So what would you describe as like the biggest challenges oh that's a great question actually i think you know it's hard to do this conversation without acknowledging i think COVID 19 um so let's hit them on the head here you know a lot of people in the aviation community are, are being impacted by this uh, this pandemic and the slowdown of the industry and we're no we're no different from that so airports you know they have their fixed cost of maintaining their operations and right now the revenue model has sort of fallen apart you know past traffic's down 95 percent. your revenues are down 95 percent. so they're not going out forward with discretionary projects they're trying to save money as much as possible and what that translates to for for me in the consulting world here is the rfps you know those jobs aren't coming out the way they used to and there is a bit of stress to that you're, you're only as good as your last job right you need to keep on winning work to keep the business going so again, in Canada, we've been fortunate to have some governmental support, but you know, it's there's a bit of stress that comes with chasing the job and, and chasing the next win because you're only as good as your next win. Um, that's sort of the COVID aspect, and I think you know, as an industry, we're going to get through that obviously and, and come out stronger. Um, in terms of the actual work itself, uh, a common critique of planning is that you know you do your report or you do your study, and people always joke, well, and then it goes and it sits on a shelf. So again, planning isn't. You know, if you're working for a consulting firm, planning isn't getting it done. It's it's making the informed recommendation that then goes to the the airport owner or the municipality or the airport authority, and it's their job to actually implement that. And a lot of people who have frustrations in the industry say, "Well, I'll make my recommendations, but they're sort of dead on arrival. They won't get done." Um, so that can can kind of wear people down a little bit, and that's why a lot of people like engineering is engineering it saying, "Well, here's the problem. Here's how we're going to get it done, and it's likely that it'll happen." Um, Planning, you know, if there's not an effective implementer or decision maker, it can sit on a shelf. So that can kind of get you. Um, I think those would be kind of the two critiques that I'd lay out there. But otherwise, you know, top notch. So that brings up another question as far as planning is concerned. Do you, do you get to see these projects through fruition? I mean, is it, do you just disconnect or, or what happens? 
you know, I think you, you could disconnect because again, you if you finish the terms of your RFP and your contract, you can you can walk away and never think of that airport again. You know, more power to you if that's the, the way you operate. I get invested in the airports I work with. Um, you know, I'll I'll check the news and I'll, you know, the local newspaper and I'll search them like once a month or so and just see what's happening out there. Um if you're doing a 20 year master plan, you know, uh, you're playing the long term game at that point. Like you might recommend that pardon me, recommend something for the year 2035. You know, who knows, right? It's not a, an instant gravitation thing. Um, but there are some assignments that we do that are more short term planning in nature. I did a, a project recently in Southern Ontario where it was a, a hangar approvals process and design guidelines, and then that gets implemented and you know, that'll guide subsequent hangar development. So it's a mix, you know, planning is longer term in nature. So there's less instant gravitation, but, uh, you know, it can come, it can definitely come. So I'm trying to figure out maybe the person that's actually working for the municipality would see that more to through fruition, you know, as opposed to the consultant that works with this, like the city planner. Yeah, you've got it there. It's, you know, Consulting, you parachute in, you do the the terms of your contract, and you you move out, and then it goes down to the the airport owner or the municipality that runs the airport to implement it and to assign that to their budgets and you know tender the contract and and do the project. So um, yeah, you've got it on the head there. Consulting, you recommend, and then it's off to the airport to implement. And we might support them in that, but you know they're not obligated to. You know, interestingly, while we're talking, one thing did come up. I uh, I like antiques and I love old plans. And I found some of the old plans to the local airport here with this beautiful terminal that never happened, you know, that, that never came to fruition. So I'm sure some of those people were, you know, there's a challenge right there. The person that designed that new terminal and it went away uh, or the plans never came to fruition. Maybe someone else won out. Maybe some other consulting firm won out. Um, but uh, but that talking about plans and there's so many different disciplines I think you need to become an airport planner because it doesn't seem like there's just one there there's other things that you need to have so kind of describe first of all maybe the educational background and the disciplines that I need to get into airport planning or or what would be most beneficial yeah I think again you've you've got it there there's no single defined path into airport planning you know you could google around for an airport plan degree and you might find something out there, but in my experience, that that wasn't necessarily the case in Canada. Uh, it's a multidisciplinary job, and you know, before we sort of dive into education, I'll talk about who's on my team right now. You know, we're a, we're a small firm, so we've got uh, an engineer, uh, a commerce, uh, a bachelor of commerce grad, a project management professional, and then myself. And my background was in municipal planning. So, you know, when I was starting out back when I was choosing universities, I sought out a, a bachelor's degree in, in municipal planning and land development. So a lot of overlap with airport planning, just you're looking more at the you know city plans, city official plans, subdivisions, things like that. I uh, went through, did a five-year degree with co-op as part of that um, and didn't know what airport planning was. Like I didn't know that was a thing when I went into my degree. I sort of stumbled upon that, but you know it, it makes sense that someone would do an airport version of what I was learning in university. So I worked a few jobs for uh, the city of Ottawa as one example up here in Canada and other um, private firms and municipalities. And through that, you know, I think the education that you choose, you, there's a number of ways to do it, but it's about leveraging that and sort of selling yourself as, well, here's my education and here's how it can apply to airport planning. Um, so my approach personally was I would go through all the assignments in university and where I had a little leeway or a little flexibility in what I was asked to do by my professors, I would just turn it on its head and say, well, here's how airport planning applies here. So you want me to talk about this 1960s uh, land use planning theory? Well, 
here's an airport or you know my my capstone project well here's an airport land development project and i probably drove them nuts but you know what it did was it it helped me to think uh, like an airport planner and then when the the time came for me to hunt out our plan jobs it's my my last co-op term part of me of university i almost had like a little mini portfolio of, of airport planning assignments and i went to them and said well okay my degree is in land development and, and municipal planning so it's not quite what you guys do but here's how these assignments you know show that i can think like an airport planner and sort of here's my soft skills that i can leverage in this work and for me that's what worked and i think most people in airport planning do that. They'll do a bachelor of engineering and say, well, here's how I can leverage this in airport planning. I'll do a commerce degree and here's how I can leverage that. It's about sort of taking your degree and then pointing it in the direction that you want to go and, and marketing your degree and the, the skills that you gain through it. So is there one degree that most people have more often in the airport planning world or is it truly that diverse? My short answer would probably be no. It's I've worked with a lot of engineers you know, a lot of people who've done a, a Bachelor of Engineering. Uh, I've worked with a few people who have done, like like I did, a, a Bachelor of Planning or a Bachelor of Environmental Management. But, you know, and I've also seen a few people who, who go through aviation college programs, like a, an aviation management program. Georgian College is an example up here in Canada. I wouldn't point to one in particular, but those are a few that I, I see uh, a good number of my peers having having gone through. Right. One of the things that I think is just awesome about the, the career itself is you hear people come from all different backgrounds, even people that have a degree in art. And uh, it, it just, it's just phenomenal because there, there's a lot of thinking that goes on in your brain. It seems like that type of person actually lends itself well to airport planning, uh, interestingly. Absolutely. And I think maybe to, to speak to the degree a little bit more, it's less about the name of your degree and it's more about the, the skills that you've developed through that. And that might be where we're, we're heading in this you know, discussion here, but it really is finding a degree that can help you build that sort of analytical, uh, that critical thinking skill set. You know, the hard skills of airport planning, you can learn on the job. Uh, you know, there wasn't much point in me during university going through Transport Canada's airport planning uh, and design standards. Like, you know, I did of interest, but you can learn that on the job and it'll apply to every project differently. It's about learning to think as a planner. And I think the soft skills are the ones that really matter to the university and where I found my degree matched quite well. You know, it was having an analytical framework. It was being able to think critically about sort of complex problems and identify solutions. Um, communication skills. I think if you can find a degree that helps you with your written skills, oral skills, and also listening. Because a lot of my job isn't talking, which thank goodness, uh, it's listening to stakeholders and being able to actually listen and synthesize their the information they're trying to convey to you. Um, so if you can find a degree that sort of gives you those soft skills and helps you communicate your ideas effectively through through writing, you know, you're in good shape at that point because when you're on the job, you can learn the technical stuff. Um, and also, ideally, if you're adding things to the wish list here of your degree, maybe a degree that would help you learn how to function in team environments uh, in multidisciplinary teams. You know, planning, you never do anything alone in planning, which is a blessing and a curse depending on what day of the week it is. Uh, so the group projects I did in the university probably have me a little bit of gray hair by the end of it, but it is crucial learning because you're you hit the nail on the head there, Carl. Like it's you're working with engineers and environmental specialists and airline stakeholders and X and Y and Z. And you need to be able to be the middleman. You know, you can you can take everyone's information and synthesize it and and translate it into a planning document. So find a degree that can give you those soft skills and then sort of sell your experience in a, in a pitch to an employer. 
the soft skills are very important in, in many fields. Um, and interestingly, when you were talking, one of the other soft skills I feel, I talked about art and art history, that type of thing. Sometimes we, we discount those and we have to realize that those are important and for many different reasons. Um, and art is so important in our lives. Uh, but uh, a lot of times we wind up being in these situations where we're in meetings. It's not just about the work that's being done. It's about the people. And having those different degrees helps us actually relate to people, whether it's art, music, history, whatever it may be. Absolutely. And really, at the end of the day, you need to think of what you're planning for. I think it's easy to lose sight of that when you're doing a 20-year master plan. But it goes back to what we talked about earlier in this podcast. You're planning for the the passenger experience. You're planning for the the pilots that are going to use the facility, the the ground staff that are going to service those aircraft. You're planning to create an environment that works for people. So you can't sit behind your desk and create the most technically perfect plan that'll fall apart when it's implemented. It needs to sort of stand up to reason and stand up to those people that'll use it. So you need to be able to yeah you know find the ability to listen and synthesize and to consider those art. There's a, an element of art to it, uh, and sort of just bringing. Briefly with the history side, I'll plug airporthistory.org. Uh, the guy who runs that has an excellent website that, that really does show exactly what you mentioned earlier, You know the, the different evolution of airport planning and the visuals of that. It's art. It's art. It's science. And that's a fantastic website if you're interested in it. So I'll plug that there. Yeah, well, definitely. We'll have that in the show notes. That's for sure. I'll put that down there in the show notes as far as airport history. And by the way, all the things we talk about will be in the show notes. Uh, but one of the things, and I always tell people this because I've as far as the interdisciplinary type of skills, I found that my background in art history, because I'm not a good artist, but I'm very much into art and art history, has helped me tremendously throughout all of the different things that I've done in life. And it's not just about how it relates to, say, designing something. It's also about how it relates to to actually relating to people and and actually integrating with the people that are, say, even going through an airport, that type of thing. Uh, what it, And we talked about that customer service in the beginning, and, and we talked about safety being number one, but, but what's going to be appealing to people and what's going to make them happier in that environment, in that airport environment? And those art skills and all those skills will help tremendously. That's for mm-hmm. sure. I think you're you're entirely right, and and planning for people that was something that my my background in municipal planning did give me a good sort of understanding of uh, the focus from you know our professional organizations, the, the Canadian Institute of Planners and Ontario Planning Institute. We're planning for people at the end of the day, and that's you know something you lose sight of all too often. It's cool to hear of how your sort of background in art history there uh, gives you that lens that you can look through because it it is putting on sort of the right lens for each project that you're serving, you know, your client, but you're also serving the public that's going to make use of that facility eventually. So when you talk about airport planners, city, municipalities, is there any other thing as far as internationally that you get involved with? You're in Canada. Do you, do you, is there any other part of your job you have to think about as far as planning is concerned? If you're doing some planning and you have, you have many different cultures, you have many different people coming into that specific airport, maybe not something so much out in you know, the interior of Canada, but say on the border, that type of thing. Do you get involved in anything internationally when the, when the planning's involved? Do you ever bring in other countries to discuss uh, planning? Yeah, I think you need to create an airport experience that, that works for the different, a variety of different publics. So I mentioned planning for the public. Well, there's also different publics. So the major international airports are a good example of that in that a lot of the airport experience, it's enabling travelers to sort of make mistakes and still sort of find their way through. So if you've got a, an airport that's just English language signage uh, and you're a major international facility and you're not understanding as a, a passenger from Italy or or 
you know, Egypt or Kenya, how to get through there. It needs to be sort of an intuitive design for how to use the space and sort of how you flow through the airport. Um, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It needs to be intuitive and you need to almost remove the opportunity to make mistakes through that intuitive design there. Uh, personally, I haven't worked with a lot of international stakeholders. Again, most of my work is regional airports here in Canada. So I've been sort of insulated from that. But there definitely is the opportunity to, you know, if you're working for a larger airport or if you are consulting abroad to, to be exposed to those. And the beauty there is, you you know, the ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, gives those international um, guidelines and standards for airport planning that you know, in Canada, I rely on the Canadian ones, but you would be adapting more to those international approaches. So yeah, there definitely is the opportunity to bring in international stakeholders. And uh, I think, yeah, it's creating an experience that works for everyone, depending on what your clientele is, and then creating an intuitive experience that works for you. I think that's the point right there is knowing your customer and your customer may be a, another very different background than you, you know, and that's where kind of the point I was trying to make internationally is, uh, you know, you go to certain airports and you're like, well, why is it that in say Fort Myers, Florida, you have German magazines on the shelves, you know, and it's like, well, because there's a large population that comes there mm-hmm. and, and understanding what it is they're looking for when they're coming to an airport and, and their different cultures and backgrounds and how that goes into the whole planning process for the airport like you said it it's all about if someone makes a mistake how quickly can they recover from that mistake when they're exactly. in an airport it, it is fun to watch though at, at airports when people are trying to get to their destination or to do whatever they need to do and and then see them stumble but then fix it exactly and like i think airports you know you and i are in aviation i think a lot of people in this podcast are, are aviation minded people or they may not be so we often take the airport experience for granted. It's like, of course, we know how to find our way to gate 39 and, you know, here's how to take off your belt and all that, the security and, and to flow through as fast as possible. Air travel, I think, still isn't an intuitive experience for a lot of people. So, again, it's it's playing almost the lowest common denominator and, you know, creating a travel experience that works for people that this is their first time or it's the, you know, the elderly individual with mobility challenges who has a different airport experience or it's a kid, you know, who doesn't quite understand that they can't scamper through the security line. So, you know, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It, you need to be able to make mistakes in airports and it, for it to be a forgiving experience because air travel is stressful for a lot of people. So you want to plan to mitigate that stress. And if you do that, ideally, they're going to come back and do it again. Um, otherwise, they might just wear it off and choose to drive or take the train. So. You know, you really have me sold on this whole airport planning job. And I, I tell you, if I ever lost my medical, I think I, I'd get into this. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, come um, on up. I, I, gosh, I'd love to. As a matter of fact, I'd love to come up to Canada and check out some of the, the projects you're working on. I, it's been a, a little while since I've been up there uh, now that I've been flying down the U.S. and Caribbean. But beautiful country, and uh, it's really it, it's interesting how uh, connected people are to the aviation environment uh, throughout Canada. One thing that's really important, though, when someone's choosing a job, I think, is the fact that they need to know that they'll be able to make a living and they'll actually have uh, the ability to make a living for the rest of their lives. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the, the things people don't like to talk about, pay and benefits. Uh, as far as pay and benefits, what does like an airport planner make, say, from from the uh, or the co-op or you know that type of thing up to say a uh, more managerial or higher level positions, and what type of uh, benefits do they have? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll, I'll preface this discussion by saying it's mainly data that sort of I've gleaned from my experience. And you know, that's a if there's like a, a Venn diagram of airport planning, I'm in that little wedge in the middle of here's what I've seen. Um, 
in general, I find it to be quite a, a well-paying and, and stable profession. I think starting out, you know, after university, you're looking this is Canadian dollars, mind you, but uh, you know, north of fifty thousand per year. You know, you're you're kind of in that nice bracket in the middle there. And uh, over time, like I think there there is the opportunity for for pay increases to the sort of the high area below a hundred or even around that range. Um, again there's a ton of variables there you know it's it's going to depend on you are you a consultant or are you working for an airport or municipality um but in general i think it's a pretty well-paying job and uh you know i think that 50 to 100 or, or north of that range would be a good area that you're looking at um as an estimate and in terms of benefits again that obviously varies employer to employer but uh i've been very fortunate in my work uh full health care um so dental vision health etc um uh, different employers, you know, I've had opportunities for for paid education, paid training. So about a year ago, I went out and did a, an AutoCAD training course because I went to my employer and said, well, here's how this is going to be a benefit to you. You know, here's a deficiency that I have, you know, in that computer design. So they, they paid for that college program for about four months. Uh, they also pay for my professional dues. So uh, I'm a member of the, again, the Canadian Institute of Planners and Ontario Planning Institute. So there's the, the yearly dues that go into that. Um, also vacation too, you know. I've, I think I started out around two weeks of vacation, which is very much par for the course up here in Canada, uh, up to three weeks now. And I think, you know, you'll get your vacation. And I found employers are quite flexible when you take that because, you know, on multi-month projects, it's not essential that you're there every single day. They, you know, they can give you a little leeway on when you take that. So there's not really a peak time per se in planning that they would block you off from that. Um, so, yeah, I think does that sort of hit what we want to talk about there? Yeah, I, I guess the other thing too is, I guess from the the U.S. perspective is, say, at private pensions, uh, like uh, you know, instead of public, like we have in in the U.S., the Social Security is a public pension. You know, we also have a lot of people that get uh, have four hundred one ks, that type of thing, like their own private pensions. Yeah, I mean, I'm a younger guy, so maybe I should start thinking about it a little bit more. Um, my past employer did uh, RRSP matching, so retirement savings plan. Uh, they would match me there. Uh, and also investment matching. They're a publicly traded company. So if I invested, they would, they would match that investment to a level. Um, so yeah, there are opportunities as well to, to, to pay into those uh, savings programs and investment programs. Well, it's quite cool that you're doing this at such a young age. You've accomplished a lot too, that's for sure. Uh, and it's really exciting. I, I can't wait to kind of follow you in, in your career, that type of thing. Um, as far as this career is concerned, I think you truly are a great advocate for it. Um, and one of the things that I, I'd really like to know from just a, we talked a lot, a lot here, but in general, what type of advice would you give to somebody that's maybe thinking of getting into the airport planning field? If you've got passion for aviation and uh, you have an interest in it, you'll be able to find a number of different ways to to flow into it. You know, it's Again, it's like I mentioned earlier, there's no one predetermined route into airport planning, but if you've got the passion, that's what really will show to employers and they can take care of the technical training. You know, you don't need to worry about finding the perfect university program that'll teach you how to apply Transport Canada standards or ICAO standards or, or X and Y and Z. You know, get a good program that can teach you the soft skills and, and sort of how to think like a planner um, network you know, get your name out there. I don't think I mentioned that earlier, but the only reason I got my first job in airport planning was I would build up that sort of uh, resume of, of airport planning assignments through university. And literally what I did to get that co-op was every firm in the country that did airport planning, you know, all the big name firms, all the small ones, Googled them, tried to find emails and just blind applications and just sending them and sending them. And one of them landed, you know, and, and the rest is history, right? So it was about, you know, I had passion and I, I think I 
or I was trying to figure out what to do with it, but it's being persistent uh, and not letting that passion fade away because you'll find a way to get into it. You know, it's it's a, a bit of a mystical discipline. I couldn't find out a lot about it. And that's why I think I'm on the podcast now is to maybe give a few examples of how you could do over it. But if you've got the passion and you've got the, the soft skills or you can develop the soft skills, you'll find a way in there. Uh, just talk to people and listen and ask questions and then listen some more and listen a little bit more too, because that's really the way into it. Uh, and once you're in it, the working conditions are, are pretty great. Like I'm, I'm biased, but it's a, it's a fantastic job. I love what I do. You know, right now I work from home. You know, we, we were doing that before the pandemic hit, so we were kind of doing it before it was cool. But I've got my home office, you know, uh, I work in my reports, I'm home for dinner, you know, I've got my partner, and then, you know, I get to travel. So I'll pack a suitcase and I'll fly to BC, or I'm going to go to Saskatchewan in a few weeks here, and I'll go to the airport and I'll walk the runways and I'll meet people and not shake the hands anymore, but don't do that, right. you know, <laughs> keep those masks on. But, uh, you know, you, you get out there and the I'm sort of taking a little side tail here, but the beauty of going to an airport is that you study it behind a desk and then you go out there and you can realize how wrong you were about a lot of things. I went out to that airport in BC a few weeks ago and I thought I had it all figured out because I've been studying it for like three months. Oh boy, there was mountains and places that I didn't think. There was obstacles that I didn't see because Google Earth is out of date. Uh, and just like you get a different understanding of the airport from being out there. So don't be afraid to admit when you're wrong and just learn and listen. And I think you'll have a really rewarding career in airport planning. Learn and listen and talk. We're talking to Ben Crooks, uh, airport planner, and this has been awesome having you on because there there are so many people that don't understand what the like an airport planner is. They understand maybe what a city planner is, and even that is elusive to many folks. But I think you've colored that in uh, a lot of the misunderstandings and also those things that were just foreign to a lot of us. Uh, but what we're going to do is all the things we talked about have some links down below, so we'll have you send us some information as far as links we can put in the podcast. But if anybody has a question feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com we'll send it off to ben and ben will either be back on or answer the question on a, a future podcast anything else that we need to go over ben i think we've sort of hit the the high points there and, and by all means if you've got questions you know reach out to carla or myself and you know i want to talk about this profession because i think it could be a good fit for a lot of people so there's no there's no bad questions right listen and learn uh i appreciate you having me on carl because it's a great to have a you know, a platform to speak about this profession with and uh, people can reach out. I'd love to talk to them about it and hear how it might work for them. So thank you. Well, well, thank you for coming and you're welcome anytime to come back on. We'd love to have you back again. And if you're interested in something that has to do in the planning, airport planning, uh, anything as far as careers in general, please reach out to us, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com because there are no dumb questions. Uh, as you can tell, we've I've learned a lot during this conversation and I hope you have too. But most importantly, I think that if you're thinking about becoming uh, somebody that's involved in airport planning, either uh, out on the fringes and just an interest or if you're someone that wants to become an airport planner as a career or just interested as a hobby, etc., do me a favor. And when we actually turn this podcast off, don't just stop there and keep going forward. Don't just, you know, turn this off and say, that's all I've, I've learned all I can. No, it's actually, this is just the start. And that's why every time at the end, I always tell people to do something right after you finish this, do something now, right after you turn this off, whether it's researching what an airport planner is, whether it's looking into what your pay and benefits will be, whether it's looking into what your next rating is, if you're a pilot, what your next degree might be in. But I want you to do something today to move forward in your career and your life. Well, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe one out there.
You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.